Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, an archive of Robert Lewis's sermons while at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The following podcast is one of Robert's original messages to men on manhood, found here under the series heading, Authentic Manhood. As you listen to it, we hope it will give you both personal encouragement and spiritual inspiration to live better as a man. This morning, what I want to do is share with you two stories that come from two extremes. And I don't know if you're a channel surfer like I am, but from time to time I come across the, uh, uh, the evening news program called Crossfire. Have you ever seen Crossfire? And uh, in Crossfire, they bring together two extremes. That's what the whole program is about. They bring together a liberal and conservative, at least from a political standpoint. And for the next 30 minutes, you guys get to watch them debate some specific issue from these two uh, political polls. The two stories that I want to share with you today are like that. They come from the extremes of life. On the left, I'm going to call it the far non-religious left is going to be my story. And from the right, from the far religious right is going to be Nick's story. Two stories that I want to share with you today. Both stories, though, have two things in common, and that is they both, say, they both face the same problem, and they both will have the same cure. So I want to start, first of all, with my story. Now, you guys know a lot about my story because I've shared it with you over these last 12 sessions. But as you also know, I grew up in a home where spiritual dialogue was about as prevalent is the ACLU calling for school-sponsored prayer. It just didn't happen very often. Uh, for 18 years, I was in a family that would acknowledge religious things. There was occasions where we went to church, but real spiritual dialogue was pretty much absent. Apart from a few holiday gatherings where my mom called on one of our relatives to pray, I can never remember praying as a family together. I can never remember anyone in my family talking about some spiritual issue in their life or the need to know something spiritually. That dialogue was pretty much just absent. We were a, southern, a small southern family who occasionally went to church, but authentic spiritual dialogue was absolutely foreign. I can remember one Christmas, since we're in the Christmas season, where my mom probably feeling the need to give some spiritual input to these three little boys that were running around the house, decided to have a little Christmas uh, event around the tree where we celebrated Jesus' birth. And she asked my dad to join us, and my dad felt real awkward in that, and he didn't want to do it. And, and before long, they kind of got at odds with each other and they had a fight over it. And I remember my dad leaving and my mom, still persisting, called us boys around the tree and she had a little devotional that she had gotten from the Methodist church that she wanted to read. But she had to read a Bible verse with it and so we took the next 20 minutes trying to find a Bible. And I remember my older brother Charles read the verse and then she read the little devotional around the tree and then it was over. And you felt better. There was something about me that felt better that we had done that. But, but after we'd read the story, you would have expected, I mean, now looking back from an adult perspective, that somebody would have shared about what that really meant, why Jesus really came and all the things around that. But 
That dialogue never ensued. We just had the little event like a ritual to kind of absolve ourselves from the guilt of not knowing anything else. And then it was over. Felt totally out of character for our family. Foreign. And as a young guy growing up, what I always looked forward to was the Christmas Eve Lewis party where all our relatives would go, come over and, and the boys would always sneak in and steal, the, steal out cups of that whiskey-laced eggnog. Now that was Christmas to me. As I grew up, my philosophy of life was real simple. Probably like yours, some of you. When a history prof asked me my first year in college what I wanted to be, I said I wanted to be happy. I remember that kind of caught him off guard a little bit. He was looking for a vocation. I was looking for a life. I wanted to be happy. And that first year at Arkansas, I worked hard at trying to be what I thought was happy. As a freshman, I partied a lot. I drank a lot. I got crazy a lot. I tried to act macho like a lot of the other freshman students there. And I tried to be liked a lot because I wanted to be liked just like everybody else. But as hard as I tried that, life for me after about two semesters started to not be as much fun as it started out. And it bothered me. Athletics, which was so fun in high school. There was such a camaraderie and brotherhood. And the coaches liked me and I liked them. Playing for the Razorbacks wasn't that much fun. Because it became clear after just one year that it was dead serious business. And you were liked only if you performed. And that felt different than high school. And it disappointed me. My adolescent wildness back in high school, you know, where you would, as a junior and senior, you would drink a few beers and push a few limits and do a few novel crazy things like farm in somebody's yard or something like that that was kind of novel then, now was continuous in college. It was every weekend at levels that seemed extreme even for me. And yet I participated whole hog. But seeing a cute co-ed vomiting over a balcony or a friend acting like a complete fool on a weekend began to have striking similarities in this kid's mind to the home that I grew up in. And though my friends couldn't see it, I could see the future of that direction because I had lived it out as a child in an adult home. And I saw where all that was leading. I saw the future in those things. But you know what was funny? As distasteful as that future was, I had no other alternative except just to throw myself into that kind of lifestyle even more so. It was a madness of sorts. But that's the only way I knew how to do it. And so I participated fully and freely. I chose to get even wilder. At the same time, I was being attacked by some pretty haunting questions. Same questions that every once in a while probably surface in your life. The question, where am I going? What's the meaning of life? Who am I? But the worst questions were these. Do you see what you're becoming? Is this what you want to be? 
Those were hard questions to look in the mirror and see my face in. Because I didn't like what I was becoming. And I didn't want to be those things. I just didn't know an alternative. So here's what I knew. Number one on your outline. Here's what I knew for me. This is my story. I didn't know much. Here's what I knew. I knew I was lost. That's what I knew. I could identify with that ancient secular Roman poet, Juvenal, who said these words, Nemo malus Felix. No wicked man is happy. In spring of 1968, I walked into a room where some friends, to my surprise, were having a Bible study. Now, that was foreign to me. I'd never seen guys in a room having a Bible study before. But at the end of that seemingly chance meeting, I found myself being presented by one of the guys in the room with the claims of Jesus Christ. That he, Jesus, was supposed to be the way and the truth and the life for all men. That he was the person who died in order for us to remove ourselves from the guilt of sin and all that it entailed. That he came that we as people might have a different kind of lifestyle. And on top of that, that he himself was the way to eternal life. And at the end of that interaction with this friend who obviously could see the lostness on my face, even though I felt it in my heart, then in the evening, he asked me the question. It was a real frontal question. He said, would you like to have Jesus Christ in your life? Would you like to have him live in you? Now, I want you to know, he's asking this from a guy from a real far left, non-religious perspective. And it would be like asking me at that moment, would you like to jump the Grand Canyon? And the point would be, well, sure, if I could. But how could I do that? Come on, are you serious? The whole thing sounded strange. He wanted me to pray with him. What's stranger still is that that question, though, moved me. There was something in me pulling forward to what he was actually talking to me about. Something in me wanted to respond Something in me was asking, could this be real? Could Jesus Christ be? Now that's a profound question. Could Jesus Christ be? My mind was going, hold on now. My heart was saying, why don't you go for it? See what's out there. Which led me to point two. I didn't have much faith that night. But what faith I did have, I put in Jesus Christ. You know, I, but guys, I can still remember the prayer. The guy, I said, I don't know how to pray. And he said, I'll lead you in a prayer. And I still can remember the first words of that prayer. I bowed my head and he said, repeat after me these words. Lord Jesus, I need you. Oh, I felt that. The second semester of my college freshman year, and I needed someone other than me because I knew the darkness of my own life and I knew the direction I was headed and it was like a train out of control that knew it was out of control but couldn't stop where it was going. Have you ever felt that? That was me. And I knew I needed somebody bigger than me. I needed somebody to change me. I needed somebody to help alleviate the guilt in me, to give me the power that I needed to live a life I wanted but couldn't get there. 
So I prayed that prayer in an absolute flying leap of faith. Which leads me to point three. After that moment, I didn't change much at first outwardly, but something profound did change inwardly. You know, it's interesting for the first year or two after I made that commitment to Jesus Christ, because I really did offer him my life that night. I know that happened. Outwardly, I don't think my friends saw that much of a difference, quite frankly. I was kind of left alone for the next year and a half. And occasionally, I still fell into the same things that I did before. But you know, I didn't do them the way I did them before. Because something in me was really different. Because when I would do those things, can I say it? When I even did the wrong things, I sensed Him in me. Even with little outside encouragement, on top of that, I began to feel a need to know God better. I wanted my life to change. I wanted suddenly to be better. And I even felt an energy from within to move that direction. I no longer just disliked my wrongdoing. When I did things wrong, I felt for the first time it was grieving somebody other than me. It was grieving him. Old things were passing away. I could see it even as a person with no one talking to me. Old things were passing away and some new things were beginning to come and I was experiencing a freshness that I didn't even understand. In fact, years later, I came across a theological word for my experience. It was the word, listen, regeneration. Never heard a word like that, but I came across this word, regeneration. The theologian J.I. Packer defines regeneration this way. Look on the screen. Here's what he says. He says, regeneration is an inner recreating of fallen human nature by the gracious action of God's Holy Spirit. Regeneration in Christ changes a person's natural disposition from lawless, godless self-seeking, which dominates a depraved man into one of trust, love, repentance, and loving compliance with God's law henceforth. That is, loving compliance from within. Still sometimes difficult to get it all on the outside. But I went, that's what happened to me. Not long after I became a Christian, because that's what happened to me that night, I was looking in the New Testament and I ran across a verse that told my story. You want to see it? It's in Titus 3. Here's what it says. For we, and I could put, for Robert, was once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending his life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of our God when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved me. Not on the basis of deeds which I had done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon me richly in Christ Jesus. And I went, that's me. That's what happened to me. And that's my story. And I'm sticking to it even 30-something years later. Now, I want to give you another story. That's my story over here from kind of the non-religious left, because that's where I grew up. 
But I want to give you another story on the opposite extreme. It's a story from the far religious right. I think it's the original old Saint Nick story. Okay, and it's found in John chapter 3. It's on your outline, but I'll also put it on the screen if you want to just look up here. Here's what it says. This is the first part about this, this guy in the New Testament who is struggling with the same issues I was struggling with, but not from a non-religious background, but from a super-religious background. Here's what it says. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, that's a religious sect, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was a scholar, a religious scholar. This man came to him by night and said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now Nicodemus sounds baffled at this point, but he's not baffled over the term born again. That may be a new term to you, but the term born again was one used regularly in Jewish society at this time, culturally speaking. It was used when a boy was circumcised. He was born again into the house of Israel, into the covenant as a child. A Gentile who was baptized into Judaism in those days was said to be born again. When a man was married to a wife, he was born again. All these became new phases or seasons of life, and these new seasons of life were signaled or coined by the term born again. In fact, in Judaism, if I remember correctly, there were eight born again experiences you could have as a man over your lifetime. The last born again experience for any man, if he was to have this last was kind of the highest. And that is after he turned 40, if he was selected to be a rabbi, a teacher of Israel, that was the greatest born again experience that you could have. And Nicodemus, as a ruler of the Jews, had had that experience for himself. It was the highest phase of life. Now please note, here's Nicodemus, who's had all these born again experiences that one could have. He had been circumcised. He had been bar mitzvahed. He had been married. He was over 40. And he was a rabbi, one of the leading rabbis within Israel. And why he's baffled is because Jesus looks at this super religious man, old Saint Nick, and still says to him, you must be born again. Notice on your outline, he says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm not speaking to anybody else. It's just you and me here. But I say to you, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, how can I be born again? I'm old. I've done it all. I've experienced it all. I've had all the seasons of life that a man can have. What else is there? And Jesus is saying to him, yeah, you've had all those. It's just the most important one you haven't had the one that's called born of the Spirit. Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because the hardest person to reach is not the non-religious depraved person. 
It's the religious depraved person. That's the hardest to reach. It's not the secularist. It's the religionist. It's not the crazy guy. It's the church guy. That often is the hardest person to reach. The person who grew up in church and heard the words and saw the sights and recited the creeds and sang the songs and was dutiful and regular in his church attendance, but who has never been changed from within by a life-changing encounter where in desperation and his lostness, he gave his life away to the Savior of the world. Never had that. Had everything else. Just hadn't had that. And they assume and sometimes are even uh, assured that in doing church, in being confirmed, or being baptized, or singing in the choir, or growing up in a Christian home, or being married in the church, that somehow all these born-again experiences are enough. And guys, I want you to know, they're good experiences. They're just not the essential experience. Please hear me. You can have all those born-again experiences, but you better have the one that really counts the most, the one that Jesus is talking about here. Being born of the Spirit from within that deals with the deepest wound in a man's life and goes to the darkest corner and finally turns the light on. If you haven't had that, everything else is irrelevant. Let's go on and read here in John chapter 3. He says this, Jesus answered and said, truly, truly. Now, somebody says truly, truly. It's almost like shouting, this is the truth. This is the truth. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is just flesh. And that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's mysterious. It can't be manufactured by human will. It's of God. That's what he's saying. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said to him, kind of marveling that, Nicodemus, are you not just a teacher of Israel? Are you the teacher in Israel? And you don't understand these things? You see, Nicodemus was kind of the Billy Graham of the first century. He had that kind of standing among the people, and yet he couldn't speak the real language. Just like men today can do everything, but they can't tell you what a man is. They can't speak manhood language. They can connect on sports and business and superficial recreations, but they can't connect at the heart because they don't have a heart language. Jesus is saying, yeah, you can connect all up here about creeds and church and what church you go to, and, but you can't connect at the deeper spirit language. And Nicodemus was in that camp. And so Jesus and Nicodemus missed like two ships in the night. One wanting to talk about kind of theological 
rituals and the other wanting to talk about a transformation of a fallen nature that alone is key to a man being redirected so he can move out of his own self-centered existence to the noble things of a spiritual existence and find the bent that he has towards his own godlessness bent back by the Spirit to a God-seeking nature. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It just means at the core you've been changed and only God can change you. And that's what he was saying to Nicodemus. And I want to say to you, if you're here today and what you call faith takes you back to the great liturgies of the church, and there, there, are, there are great liturgies of the church, if what you call faith takes you back to traditions or church attendance or when you think about faith, you think Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic. That's the first thought in your mind. If most of your spiritual highs come from singing some great song in a church or reciting a great creed or stained glass or those kind of things, if that's where your thoughts go and they don't go, go to a recreated spirit like I shared with you on a cold, rainy spring night in Fayetteville in 1968 in front of a guy who was saying, do you want Jesus Christ in your life? And I bowed my head and went, God, I need you. If you don't go back to a moment like that, then maybe you're not born again. See, everyone has to be recreated if you're going to go from a superficial manhood to an authentic manhood. And we've talked about the darkness of our own heart the last two weeks. We're wounded by birth. We're healed by rebirth. And that is the essence, core, and bottom line of manhood. And without it, everything else is futile. Now I want you to know, Nicodemus didn't like hearing what he heard. Because he wanted religion to be the real thing, and it wasn't. So what is the real thing? Let me give you three phrases from this story that I think tell us. Here's the first. In verse 5 and verse 8, you see the little phrase, born of the Spirit? it tells us that the real thing means a supernatural rebirth. It's not something that you can make happen. Only God can make it happen. It's something you can only receive by faith, just simply by believing. I want you to look here at John 1, right at the beginning of the Gospel, John verses 12 and 13. Just notice what it says. It says, but as many as received Him... It's to them that He gave the right to become children of God. They received Him. How? By faith. By believing He could change their heart. That's the only way I can get it changed is if He changes it. It's to them that He gives the right to start becoming children of God, even to those who believe in His name who were born not of blood. That means you can't be born into the faith. He says not of the will of the flesh. It's not natural ability. You're not strong enough, smart enough, quick enough. Nor of the will of man. You can't say, I'm just going to be better. You can't will it. 
He says, you can't do any of those things. So how are we born again? He says, of God. It has to come from His hand, graciously given to you as He gives His Spirit to you to recreate you anew from within, and then you spend the rest of your life getting it on the outside. And that's the Christ, called the Christian life. Real spiritual life is not a religion. It's a life-changing encounter. When God in that encounter not only forgives our sin, listen guys, not only forgives our sin, but He changes our nature. He puts a seed of life at the very core of our being. And from that time on, there's something that yearns to be like Him. And then He offers His Spirit over a lifetime to begin to reclaim all that lost ground and change us as we continue to yield ourselves to Him by faith. But it starts in a moment where we give up ourselves and look to Him in need to change us from the inside out. Born of the Spirit. Secondly, notice the word in verse 7, must. It tells us that the real thing means an irreplaceable rebirth. It's irreplaceable. There's no substitute for it. Church can't replace it. A religious experience or tender moment can't replace it. Theological education can't replace it. Good deeds can't replace it. Personal reform can't replace it. Where you go, hey, I stopped drinking. I stopped swearing. I got out of debt. That's not a substitute for what I'm talking about. Without being born again from within, you're excluded from the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Third, notice the word you in verse 7. It tells us that the real thing must be a personal rebirth. A personal rebirth. This is an issue between you and God only. You weren't born into it because mom and dad were good Christians. I know a lot of kids who grew up in great Christian homes who never understood that they personally must make the same choice that their parents courageously made years before. We are only reborn when in our individual hearts, we alone by faith cry out to God to change us, and we mean it. And when he says, I know you mean it because I can see your heart, and he reaches back within and says, now I'm going to change you from within, and you'll never be the same. Did you know that our spiritual rebirth is the reason for this season we're in. You see some of the Christmas decorations here in the auditorium, and we often see on Christmas cards that you'll get in your home probably in the next few days. You'll get the card and you'll open it up and it'll say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Did you know the Bible doesn't say that? The Bible says that we are the reason for the season. Now we honor Jesus' birth rightly of coming into the world as the Savior of the world, God made man, wrapped in human flesh, God with us, Emmanuel, all those things that we'll celebrate. But the Bible says our birth, not His birth, is the focus of the season. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. We sing this in Handel's Messiah. For unto us a child is given. Listen to the angel's announcement in Luke. The angel says, Today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior 
Christ the Lord. And all that shouts that we are the reason for the season. The whole point of this season is not His birth. The whole point of the season is to tell us about our need for rebirth. That's the reason for the season. And that's why Jesus came. So where are you? What's your story? That's the real question today. Here as we finish the first half of men's fraternity, you know the real question is what's your story? And where are you in relationship to this kind of spiritual truth? You know, a few years ago, in speaking about a message just like this when I had two men come forward. One came down and he was an elder of a church. And he said, I've never heard anything about being born again. What is this? And it led to a wonderful conversation over the next several weeks that led to transformation of his life. Another was a Chinese businessman who had been in Little Rock for one week. And in the same message, he came stumbling down and walked up to me and I asked him why he had come. And in a kind of a broken English, he said, I don't really know why I came. He said, I've been told all my life we came from monkeys. He said, but something in my heart told me I had to come. And so there you had it, the two extremes, the far religious right, the far non-religious left, but they both felt a need to be transformed from within, even though one lived on one side of the earth and the other lived on the other side. The whole world has a need to be transformed from within. So where are you? Let me ask you the question. You guys man enough to hear it? Have you been born again? When you make that statement, or when I make that statement, do you go back to a place where regardless of how well you're living it out, you know there was a moment where you gave up your life and you embraced His life and something happened. And maybe you're stifling even some of that growth, but from within there's an impulse that wants to get out and you know that and you respond to it even today. Or do I ask that question and what you experience is confusion and doubt, just like Nicodemus, and you're going, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? See, this is extremely important because you will never deal with the deepest wound until you embrace Christ in faith and plead with Him to change your darkened heart like I did some 30 years ago. Now in this great hall of masculinity, I want to say, would you like to do that? Would you, would you like to invite the living God to come into you and to begin a reconstruction process? The ultimate footing, a foundation that's laid where my nature has a chance to be changed. And you go, that's kind of like jumping off the Grand Canyon. Oh yeah, it is. It's the flying leap. And all I can offer to you 
is the same thing that was offered to me, and that is a simple prayer. And if you want to pray this prayer, you can this morning with me. And I'll lead you. Let's bow our heads. And if this expresses the desire of your heart where you are, if something from within you is crying out to say, I need this, then you pray with me these words. Lord Jesus, I need you. These last three weeks talking about the nature of man, it has brought me to a place where I understand my nature really is flawed and fallen. And I've worked real hard to try to be better, but I can't get there by myself. I've sinned in trying to even get better. I've hurt people and hurt myself. Lord Jesus, I need you to be a man. I need you not only just to forgive my sin, and I desperately need that. But most of all, I need you to change me. I don't know how you're going to do that. But I invite you into my heart. Change me, Father. Save me. Come into my life. And Lord, live in me. And begin to help me build an authentic manhood. And Lord, whether I feel it or not, I'm going to thank you in this moment by faith that you've done the things that I've just asked. And in the weeks to come, you're going to have to show up and remind me that something has really happened. But for right now, I'm just going to thank you that on my request, you've entered my life. Amen. Now, guys, here's what I want you to do as we finish this morning. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you've never prayed that before, but you've prayed that prayer, then you be man enough to tell another man. Just tell him, I made that decision today. I'm excited to tell you I made that decision. You be excited about sharing that so that another man can encourage you in some way. Now, there's some other ways that you can be encouraging your Christian faith, your new Christian faith, if you've embraced Christ today. There are also, and we'll tell you about that, but there are others of you here today that you probably sat and listened to that, and like Nicodemus, you heard all that, and you go, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to talk more about that. And I'm going to invite Bill as, he clo as we close today to come up and tell you some ways that you can get some more information if you would like to. And we'd love to give you some more and let you make the decision if you feel like you need more. But for those of you who made the decision today to invite Jesus Christ into your life, I got one word for you as I close. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.